Uh, Once you open your Bibles to John chapter 13, please, or turn them on, however you get to your Bible, uh, and want to just tell you that uh, I absolutely hate death. Uh, I hate the death of a relationship. I hate the death of a 39-year-old dad. I hate the death of a 94-year-old dad or the long, you know, whatever. It's just so unnatural. We weren't created for a world where death reigns. This is the world that sin has wreaked havoc in. And uh, the reason we do what we do is because we live in a world where death reigns. And it just uh, emboldens me, frankly, to um, thank you for doing what you do for things like Beautiful Day and the other ways we're trying to minister in our city. And to thank you for taking the step of faith with PCC Hudson to grow with our city in our city and to bring the news that someone's conquered death and through Christ we have hope. So thank you for that. Uh, It was during his death and really his march to death in the book of John that we find ourselves right now in John chapter 13. And John, you need to know the back end of his gospel. Uh, He slows down almost to a snail's pace. Uh, Over half his gospel is given to the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Jesus' death really meant something. And um, when I'm grieving, I turn to his longest recorded sermon, which is in John 14, 15, 16, um, because he's ministering to people who are grieving. And so I would just point you there as you're in grief, if you're in grief, whether it's Nathan or someone else, it'd be a great passage. Let me read it for us. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved those who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's really important. We've gotten a lot of questions. What do you mean love everyone always? What do you mean love? What does love look like? Uh, That's what it looks like. Literally, he loved them to the end. In the original language, he loved them wholly, completely. So what we're going to read here is how we define love, okay? This is what we're talking about when we say love everyone always, okay? The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you'll have no part of me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, wash my hands, my head as well. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you're clean, even though not, yeah, And you're clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That's why he said, not everyone is clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put his clothes on and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's who I am, what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set for you an example, literally a template, that you should do as I've done for you. 
Very truly, I tell you, no servant greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the hearts and souls and minds bodies of people in this congregation. I thank you for this gathering that we can come before you with hearts exposed, tender, desiring to be honorable to you and to live in a way that's significant. So I pray, Lord, you would guide us, that you would um, have your hand on us, you would direct our gathering. Find in us fertile hearts, tender hearts for your word to transform us. We really need it. And we thank you for that hope. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So when I talk about, we talk about loving everyone always, what we are trying to encourage us to do in a supernatural way, not in our own strength, is to love with a kneeling kind of love. Kneeling love, that's what we're trying to get across. So when you think, how am I to love people? I want you to remember kneeling love. Can you say that back to me? Kneeling love, awesome. Because most of us think of uh, greatness as defined uh, by climbing some ladder and gaining um, notoriety or significance through the people we influence. But the reality is Jesus said, I'm gonna teach you greatness, but it's not about the climb, it's about the descent. We're gonna descend into greatness. So what does kneeling love look like? Uh, If you have your message notes, here we go. With our minds, it means go low. With our minds, having a mindset, go low. Very important, everybody. Let's read this again, verse one to four. We're gonna even go slower through this passage. Verse one to four. It was just before the Passover festival, And then what we get is a glimpse that the disciples didn't get. I love this about the word of God. We get insight that even the disciples didn't know. We enter into the mind of Jesus here, okay? Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world. That word, the hour, is so important in the book of John. It was first used, if you remember, in John chapter two. Remember the wedding feast? When Jesus' mother came to Jesus and said, hey, they've run out of wine. And what was Jesus' response? Why are you telling me my hour has not yet come? His whole life was pointing to what was about to come right now, the crucifixion. He called it the hour, okay? So now the hour had come. We walked through this whole gospel, uh, Jesus did. We haven't been in the gospel of John. But what was the hour? To leave this world, to go to the Father. Having loved those who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal's in progress. The devil's already prompted Judas, so now we know it's in the, in the mind of Judas. Um, he's been uh, demonized, literally in the text. Uh, Satan has tricked him into betraying Jesus. Now, this is really important, this next line. I, uh, I put it, can you go to the next line? I put it in bold. Um, this is really important, what the mindset is of loving everyone always. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew he'd come from God and he knew he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. What am I getting at here? So Jesus would be at the seat of honor in this meal. He was the guest or the host, so he sat in the place of honor. But that place, that rung on the ladder, if you will, didn't define him. 
What defined Jesus? What I put in bold. The same thing that he wants to define you. See, our culture would tell us you're defined by your LinkedIn profile or your Facebook friends or your Snapchat, whatever, pick your social media. Jesus says, no, that doesn't define you. You wanna make an impact for me? You wanna love everyone always? Here's what will define you. You'll know, look at, uh, let's, let's just uh, pick this apart. You'll know where you've come from apart from me. Do you ever think, now I, I came to Christ at 18, so I have 17 and a half, 18 years of what my life was like apart from Christ. And I will never forget the havoc and the ruined relationships and the pain I inflicted on myself, on others. Do you remember where you've come from? Some of you grew up in a Christian home, so I'll frame the question this way. Can you imagine what your life wouldn't be like without the hope of Christ? Where have you come from? Where's Jesus taken you? What difference has he made in your life? What else did he know? Let's go to the bookend. He knew he was returning to God. That's the only hope that we could put before the gym at 9.05. What else do you say to a family who's lost their, their dad or their husband at 39? The only hope is that Nate Binkert isn't lost. He's more alive right now than ever before. That's our glorious hope, the Bible calls. Um, do you understand that for you? And then look in the middle. This is really cool. He knew the Father had put all things under his, what church? He knew that God had put all things under his power. The Bible calls that authority. And right before Jesus ascended in Matthew chapter 28, he said, tell you what, I'm leaving. It's to your advantage I'm leaving. I'm going to give you what the Father has given me. And he gave us that same authority. Right there, my friends, is the building, are the building blocks of a healthy identity. That's why Jesus could go from the highest of the heights, literally to the lowest of the low, being crucified on a cross, because the rungs on the ladder didn't define him. God the Father did. You see this in Philippians chapter two. The apostle Paul wrote a commentary on the life of Christ and he said this, because we all play this, right? We jockey for position. We don't uh, climb down the ladder because we're afraid we're gonna get taken advantage of or it's below us or whatever. It, it costs too much for me to do that. Are you kidding me? That's what I did 20 years ago. I, I've, I've grown in this company. I shouldn't be doing that anymore. Paul said, hogwash, if you're gonna be otherworldly people, if you're gonna love everyone always with the need kind of love, it starts right here in your mind. And Paul said this, in your relationships with one another, have the same what? See, the Bible never talks about posture or physical activity without first saying where the root of that comes from. It always starts in our minds. Always in our minds. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or held onto to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even further. That's what's implied. Becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. Jesus was about in this room to ascend to the highest of the heights by going down to the depths, uh, the deepest of the depths. Just as he left the place of honor at the table, he's making a statement as he goes to the feet of his disciples. His whole life mission was to leave this thing with me. He was the object of worship of the whole universe. Even before there was time, there was worship of Jesus. He left that to come to earth and take on human limitations as a man. He went even deeper to serve these people and went even deeper to be killed, beat up, stripped, maimed, and crucified on the cross. How can someone do this? They can do it by having the mindset that the rungs on the ladder don't define me. God the Father defines me. One ask humbly, who defines you? Who defines me? See, kneeling love is the mindset that when we walk into a room, when we walk out of our door, when we walk into our neighborhood, when we walk into our workplace, regardless of your position on the org chart, when we walk onto our team, when we walk onto a church campus or a high school campus, the rungs don't define you. In our minds, we go low. And this is one of the things that Nate uh, just exemplified. Oh my goodness, very accomplished man, incredibly accomplished. You never know that. My daughter, he was on her Mexico team and she had no idea of what his other world was. You can Google his name and find that out. All she knew was here was a young man who treated her, a high school freshman, in the dirt of Mexico as a real human being. So Christ-like, isn't it? Doesn't end there. Open your notes. Let's go to the second thing. With our hearts, though, we go last. With our hearts, mind, heart, we go last. Verse four. So what do you do? Your hearts are always revealed in your actions. Every day we make a statement of our heart values by what we do with our time, right? So what did Jesus do? He got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that's wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you're not gonna wash my feet? Jesus said, you don't realize now what I'm doing. By the way, that word, you don't realize now what I'm doing, that's what drives our ministry. We don't serve the schools or you see a foster care initiative in a bright green uh, flyer or this coming year you're gonna hear we are targeting, uh, targeting is not the word, ministering around the world, our mission efforts to refugees around the world. And many times our, our ministry for 66 years has been to the people we minister to. You don't understand what we're doing. We're loving you in Jesus' name. We hope one day you'd understand what God's doing in your life. So that's why we're serving you like we are. But later you'll understand. 
So these guys are mostly high school age. They're lounging around the table. Now here's what's interesting. You put the gospels together. The gospels are the biographical accounts of the life of Christ. Luke wrote a gospel. And in his account, he tells us what the disciples were talking about walking into the upper room to this meal. As a matter of fact, they were having an argument. And you know what their argument was about? The irony is amazing. They were arguing about who's gonna be the greatest amongst them. It's just, I know you don't get it right now. Let me try to build that out. I expect a little different response. Um, see, they believe pretty soon, eminently, Christ was going to take over not as a spiritual Messiah, but a political one. They thought Palm Sunday, and that's why Palm Sunday happened. They thought, finally, we're emancipated from Rome. Finally, we're not under the, the cruel hand or heel of the Roman government. And so they're arguing, going into the room, hey, what position are you gonna have in Jesus' cabinet? I'm gonna be Secretary of State. What? You're gonna be, no way. You're gonna be Secretary of Interior. I'm gonna be Secretary of State. And they're arguing the whole lot thing. And then Thomas is back there going, I doubt any of you are gonna be anything, right? <laughs> going through. There's some laughter. In other words, they're questioning what rung on the ladder am I going to have, right? And I believe Jesus purposely left out the foot washing guy. That foot washing guy was a slave. It was below any Jewish man, any Jewish woman, any Jewish slave. The foot washing guy, you wouldn't hire a Jewish slave because it was below them. You'd only hire a Gentile. So they walk into the room arguing and they notice it. Every meal they've had, there was a foot washing guy. Every formal meal, he's not there. Awkward silence, looking around. Well, who's gonna do it? Who's gonna wash our feet? And then it says the evening meal was being served. In other words, their mentality was this. I'd rather sit to next, next to your stinking feet then lower myself to wash them. So serve the meal, it's below me. You should be serving me. That's the tension going on in the room. And what does Jesus do? He exhibits kneeling love. A love that sacrifices whatever is necessary to give people what they need. Now think of who's at the table, I was pondering this. Whose feet did Jesus wash? Judas' feet? I have to ask myself, and maybe you can ask yourself, when's the last time you had to wash the feet or got to wash the feet of someone who would betray you? Or is our service just with the friendly people, the easy people? I'll, I'll be honest, if we did a foot washing, I, I don't know, I probably know half of you in this room. Maybe I know a hundred of you really well. It would not be hard to wash your feet. But someone that betrayed me, that would be hard. He washed Thomas' feet. When was the last time we had to wash the feet of someone who doubted us? He washed Peter's feet. When was the last time we served a person who was ashamed to associate with you? See, when we talk about loving everyone always, I'm not talking about easy human love. The world's got that. I'm talking about a supernatural, spirit-empowered love. So your application is not, you've heard this so many times, don't try harder, trust more. And invite God to empower you with this kind of love. Jesus gets on his knees. 
because he has a heart that says go last. You know what he's doing? Since it's football season, let me just bring this analogy into it. My only football illustration, all fall, I promise. (laughs) He's taking the hit. Um, I'll bring it into a pro realm. Look at this guy. Anyone recognize him? Peyton Manning, right? One of the most successful football quarterbacks in our era. He was notorious for hating to take a hit. And so if you ever watch film on Peyton Manning, he'd come up to the line and do just this. He'd be calling out where all the defensive guys were so that his linemen would know where to block. And amongst other things, but he wanted to make sure, his body was fragile, he wanted to make sure. But inevitably, something like this would happen to Peyton Manning. He'd take a hit. Something would happen where he'd have the ball. He didn't scramble much, because he couldn't. Uh, He wasn't a fast runner. But he'd see a 300-pound lineman coming towards him, linebacker, and he knew, I have to hold on for two more seconds before I throw this ball to make a completion. And he's got to realize, I have a decision to make. Who's going to take the hit? In that split second, he could think, someone sinned on my team. Someone has missed a blocking assignment. And he could say, it's my right tackle's fault. I'm going to let them take the hit and just throw the ball out of bounds and run away from the lineman. Or, it's his nuance, he could say, it's my line coach's fault. I told him about this defense we would face, and he didn't believe me, so he didn't coach the line right. Oh my gosh, it's his fault. He's going to take the hit, and he'd throw the ball at him. (laughs) Or he could just fall over and let the whole team take the hit. The reason he's a Hall of Fame quarterback is because more times than not, almost every time, guess who took the hit? Peyton Manning. In essence, he would say, I don't know whose fault it is, but I'm not here to point blame. I'm going to hold on to that ball. I can't even imagine what it's like. Full force, 300-pound linemen, and release the ball knowing I am going to take a hit. In that room, in the upper room, these guys are looking around the table, wondering where the foot washing guy is, probably pointing blame, But in their mind, in our vernacular, they're saying this, who's gonna take the hit? It's not my fault, I'm staying here and eating my food. And Jesus gets up and demonstrates in that room what he did for his whole life. He took the hit. Because 24 hours later, he knew something more than discomfort and washing stinky feet would be on the line. He knew that the full wrath of God was coming towards every human being because of our sin. And he didn't want any one of you or me to take the hit. And the reason we worship Jesus like we do is because on the cross, he said, I'll take the hit. I'll take it on full force fury to the point where he cried out, in his most intimate relationship when everyone else abandoned him to his father. Why have you abandoned me? He took your hit. Hold that for a second and let me just tell you about our ministry. We live in a community that's growing, but there's so much brokenness in our community, it's unbelievable. There's pain in our community. And the question for us as a church that we have to answer is, who's going to take the hit for that? There are more people 
without homes in our community than ever before in my 20 years that I've been here. And we can point the finger and say they're lazy or this or that, but the question is, is the church gonna point a finger or is the church gonna take the hit and minister to people on the streets? We have foster kids in our community that are aging out and it's, it's almost, um, I don't wanna overstate it, it's, it's really bad. At 18, they're done. And we can point to a ton of things. It's the parents' fault, it's drugs, it's this, it's that. I don't care. My question, church, for us is this. Who's gonna take the hit? We're gonna let that 18-year-old kid take the hit for sin that was brought on them? Or are we as a church gonna come around side them and say, we'll take the hit, we'll provide a nurturing home, and we'll be known in San Mateo County as a place where no foster kid goes without. We, we can clap for that, that's good. We have third graders in our school system, almost half of them in the public schools that are below level readers. Can you imagine that? And we can point to a ton of things for why that's wrong. Trust me, I've, I've walked that road pretty far. But my question is, who's gonna take the hit for them? And what I love about you and why I love being with you, I told my wife this morning, I love uh, most Sundays, not every, <laughs> most Sundays I love being with you, um, just <laughs> keeping it real. Um, but today I really needed the body of Christ. And what I love about you is um, you get this, what I'm talking about. You've taken the hit and you keep going and you keep going and you keep going. That's what drives us. This is driving us going after refugees. There's a ton of reasons why we have a refugee crisis. I don't, I don't, those reasons matter, but what matters more, I think what God's asking us is church around the world, who will take the hit for them? This blessed strategy that we're going through, who's gonna take the hit? You get what I'm saying. So Jesus took the hit for you so that we could take the hit for others through him. Really, really important. Does that make sense? You know what a servant is? A servant heart is one that gets up and says, you know what? My heart breaks over this. It must be God's heart. So I'll take the hit and I'll go serve. Now quickly, with our hands, page three. So we have our, our head, our mind, our hearts, our hands. Our hands, what Jesus would say to us, go love. And you can see verse 12 to 17 but I, well, I, I do want to read it because there's something in here I want to just put before you. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place. Now here's the sentence I want you to hold and take with you this week. I'm asking you to trust me as your pastor right now. Do you understand what I've done for you? 100% of the time, when I'm called to exhibit kneeling love and I say no, I answer that very question in the negative. No, I, I don't understand what you've done for me. Because if I did, I would never bypass the opportunity to exhibit kneeling love. I wanna encourage you this week, just write that sentence down. Take that passage in uh, John 13, verse 12, and sit before God Please take the time and go, what have you done for me? And let God remind you, what has he done for you?
I look at rich relationships I have in my home, by God's grace, outside my home, community, and I go, gosh, Lord, you gave me that. I look at hope I have in Christ in the midst of even the pain that we're in, I go, that's you, Lord. I can go on and on and on, but I would just encourage you to sit in that. I I think it will will boost your spirit and, and raise up in you a heart of gratitude. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. That's what I am. But now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should wash each other's feet. Church, this is not a suggestion. The word should there is on purpose. And Jesus isn't saying it like in a shaming way. I've always heard should is the language of shame. He's saying it in an encouraging way, an invitational way. This is the way to life. With your hands, go love tangibly. And don't just love by voice. Wash some feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant's greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one that sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed. Let me just say what that word means, because most of us associate with blessing with a rung on the ladder, don't we? I got the deal. I'm so blessed. Oh, it's sold. I'm so blessed. Oh, we got that. I'm so blessed. Oh, my daughter graduated. I'm so blessed. I get what we're saying with that, right? We're saying, thank you, Lord. That's good. But let's not associate blessing with the upward climb on the ladder only. Yes, God gives you every rung on the ladder for a purpose to glorify him. But when Jesus said you'll be blessed, he's talking about connecting to the deepest levels of satisfaction, fulfillment, and purpose. That's what he's saying. That's what you want, right? Satisfaction, fulfillment and purpose. And Jesus says, you think that comes through the ascent? I give you the rungs of the ladder. Descend into greatness. With your hands love, and you'll have satisfaction, fulfillment, and purpose like never before. Like never before. So church, our culture would say something different. But what are we gonna do by loving everyone always? We're gonna go low in our mind. We're gonna walk into a room with zero rights and zero expectation. Regardless of your position in the org chart or in the high school campus or on the team or whatever, we're gonna go last. We're gonna go love. And I believe when you live this way, all of heaven replies, well played. Well played, way to use your one and only life, your one and only day. And then they say this, now go do it again. And go do it again. And go do it again and put together your days in a way that is lived significantly. Quit climbing ladders. Instead, let my spirit fuel you with kneeling love. As we pray, I wanna pray for two people, two types of people. I feel very impressed uh, that some in this room, as we've talked this through, listen, you'll get your time to go wash feet, but right now, you just need Jesus to wash your feet. Uh, Whether it's with Nate's death or something else, you are just 
paralyzed in grief and pain. And my application for you, and I wanna pray for you, is would you let Jesus wash your feet? Would you let him minister to you and speak truth over you and love you and bring healing and wholeness to you? And then I wanna pray for a group of people. Our task, our goal, our privilege is to exhibit kneeling love. That we wouldn't have Jesus just wash our feet, but we let Jesus wash feet through us. Understand what I'm saying? Just tell me yes so I know. Otherwise, I'll keep going. Okay, we're good. Okay, so let's pray. Thank you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we're called to be people of blessing. Thank you for the privilege, Jesus, of following your life in your strength, in your power. Lord, I pray for those of us who uh, we need to let you wash our feet. Our body is hurting, we're hurting, and we just need to reach out and let you wash our feet. Not have the Peter stance, no, Lord, don't touch me. But yes, Lord, here I am. There's pain and hurt that I don't even understand. So wash my feet. Father, there's other of us in this room, as this message has been going on, you've been speaking by your spirit of uh, the way we need to turn turn to you, confess, tell you we're sorry. And Lord, we need to let you wash feet through us, that we would be the courier of love to a hurting culture and community. That might be in our home, it might be in our neighborhood, in our classes, in our workspace. It might be sitting next to us right now. There might be feet that need to be washed. So we surrender ourselves to you for that as well. We want to take you at your word. Ground us in our identity, Lord. That it's not about our position on the ladder. It's about who we are in you. So guide us, Lord, now as we minister. And Jesus, thank you for taking the hit for us. Thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for absorbing the sin that, um, that we committed and the wrath that we deserve. People are sitting here, Lord, that don't understand that, I pray that you'd prompt their hearts. I'm, I'm gonna step out of this prayer. If that's you, you can respond to God just saying, I need you, Jesus. I need you. Thank you for taking my sin on the cross. I give my life in exchange for yours. Give me new life and make me the person you want me to be. And after this service, meet me at the back at the welcome table. And I want to talk to you and help you grow in that relationship. Lord, help us exhibit kneeling love. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.